Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. This is Molly. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, happy holidays to you. Oh, thank you. We had tidings. We had tidings. We have been doing this podcast for almost a year. And something I always remark to Kristen is how doing a podcast like this, where you learn all sorts of facts about women, just it can change your whole worldview. You know, all of a sudden you'll be out at dinner and someone will say something kind of casually and you'll be like, whoa, that is so patriarchal. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, that's exactly what I say. I can pick up the check. No, actually, you can pick up the check. And, you know, a friend gets married and all of a sudden you're like, well, you better go by Ms. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just, it clouds your worldview. And then something like Christmas, and I, well, maybe clouds your worldview is the wrong way to put it. It just opens your eyes to the way the world runs in regards to some things. Yeah, you get a different, you know, different perspective on things, which is what we hope to present to our wonderful listeners. So today we're going to give maybe a, an exaggerated perspective, the exaggerated feminist perspective, perhaps, on Santa Claus. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's time, maybe it's time we took Santa down a notch. Cause who, who is this guy who comes and breaks into our houses while we're asleep, you know, and, and we were supposed to make cookies for him. We're supposed to like crawl up into his lap at a crowded mall to ask him for something new and shiny. And, you know, I mean, what, what is that? I mean, we, just a few podcasts ago, we were talking about Edward Cullen and we totally dissed him for all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and let's also point out no one, no one asked Santa to go on a diet, but if you pick up any women's magazine between now and January, I guarantee there will be at least one article about holiday weight. Exactly. I mean, can you, can, I mean, double standard. Is this a patriarchal holiday or what? Yeah. And so one time we were reading this article about, you know, how women, or sometimes in the shadow of their male husbands. And I think that one woman who's definitely been in the shadow for too long is Mrs. Santa Claus. Yeah, we don't even know her name. We know Chris, Chris Kringle, Santa Claus, Mrs. Santa Claus. Uh, she has no name. What's your name? And she's a Mrs. Yeah. We've talked about Ms. that. We've talked about whether Ms. should be sort of a feminist uh, standard. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, she's just going by her husband's name. She obviously changed her name when she got married. I mean, this is this holiday is leading up to a culmination of all our previous podcasts, I yeah. think, Kristen. This is really what we've been working up to. <laughs> um, but one thing I thought was kind of kind of cool about Mrs. Claus was that she also her emergence in holiday lore, I think, kind of symbolizes um, how Christmas evolved and the celebration of Christmas evolved. True, because for a long time, basically, Christmas was set up as this day that was facilitated by one guy driving around in a sleigh, and delivering all presents. He's responsible for everything. And, yeah, I admit, Santa does a lot on Christmas Eve. Yeah, I mean, he's, yeah, he's kind of busy. He's, I mean, he does an awful lot. I don't want to discount his achievements, even if I do find him a little creepy. Yeah, but and also impressive that he can eat that many cookies in one night. Do you think maybe he's at risk for diabetes? And that much milk, all that dairy. Well, milk does make a body strong. What if Santa was lactose intolerant? Ever thought about that? But you know who we'd expect to take care of him in that regard? Mrs. Claus. Mrs. Claus. And that's the thing that we're going to try and get at today is behind every good man, in this case Santa Claus, 
there are a ton of great women who, without whom he would not be possible. Yeah, we first see, and we found this out in a paper by Carol Ann Marling called The Revenge of Mrs. Claus. This is Santa Claus. Um, and she found in her research that the first instance of Mrs. Santa Claus pops up in a children's publication called Harper's Young People in 1881. And it was, you know, Marlin calls it sort of an unremarkable Christmas story and that all, you know, all of a sudden Mrs. Santa Claus pops up. She's described as plump, much like her husband, good natured, and her jobs include being the supervisor of the North Pole Bakery and Candy Factory. And she also trimmed hats for Christmas dolls for the little girls. But unlike the docile elves, Mrs. Claus did not like it when she did not receive credit for uh, for all the work that she did. I know, which is sort of an interesting thing, because you think about the North Pole being all cheery. Yeah. Maybe Mrs. Claus was sort of like um, a Lily Ledbetter of her time, wanting due credit and reward for the work she did. Yeah, and, you know, and rightly so. I bet those were a lot of little hats that she had to trim. I mean, all Santa had to do was make blocks for the boys. And there were other... Uh, and no- why are these toys so gendered? Okay. I got, I got All right, guess. Molly. All right. <laughs> uh, and there were also a number of, uh, you know, other notable women who put their mark on the, this portrayal of Mrs. Santa Claus, um, including Catherine Lee Bates, who wrote the words to America the Beautiful. Um, and she wrote a biography of Santa, Mrs. Santa Claus in 1899 called Goody Santa Claus on a Sleigh Ride. I don't know if that means that her name was Goody. Do you know? Oh. I don't know why she would take on the whole name though, Goody Santa Claus. Maybe so. It Maybe might just goody. be it might just be vernacular of the time. And then we also have Lucy May Alcott, who wrote Little Women, um, who also mentions uh Mrs. Claus in one of her many magazine stories. And she also portrayed her as bespectacled and childless. And what she would do is she would wait patiently for her husband's return from a night in the world's chimneys on Christmas Eve. So now all of this is happening in the 1880s, late um, 1800s, turn of the century, and it's a it's a pretty marked contrast to the stuff that had come before. Like think of Clement Moore's famous poem about the night before Christmas. Mm-hmm. We've got the jolly old elf. Um, there were a lot of artists at the time who were just showing Chris Chris Kringle working all year long to bring all these toys. Um, he was living alone though. He was a bachelor in all these earlier versions of him. And by the 1880s, women were sort of maybe a little disgruntled about such a depiction. Yeah, because by this time, Christmas had really become the primary, like, annual celebration um, in American homes. And so a lot of the tasks for decorating the house and fixing the figgy pudding and trimming the tree and lighting the candles fell to the women of the house. So it became this sort of like domestic Olympics at Christmas time because there was so much to do. Um, the women were in charge of wrapping, all this just domestic finery. And women were kind of like, there's no way that that bachelor living up there with all those elves can do this by himself. And that's that's why they think maybe Mrs. Claus came into being. Yeah. Um, and then uh, she mentions Carol Ann. Marling mentions in her paper that uh, in 1910 there was a good housekeeping um, forum and uh, for men about Christmas, mm-hmm. and they basically um, kind of confirmed this idea that women were the ones who kind of made Christmas, added the Christmas finery to the occasion. They were like, "Oh, just if you want to give me a box of cigars, there's no need to wrap it up. Right. Just give me the cigar." So all your memories of wrapped presents and the smell of baking and all these things that people you know, probably list as their main Christmas memories were done by women that they were getting from women's magazines. And 
Thus, women's magazine's writers like Louise May Alcott took the time to give Santa a domestic partner. Yeah. And this article we keep saying by Carol Ann Marling, she goes on to sort of make a hypothesis that our modern day Mrs. Claus, aside from the one who does live in the North Pole, is Martha Stewart, who, you know, just does does turn Christmas into a domestic Olympics and shows you how to do it upright. I think Martha deserves her own podcast at some point. But I just thought that was sort of an interesting argument that we see Mrs. Claus as this person who just keeps the North Pole running. Santa couldn't do without her. She's got to oversee elves. She's got to feed reindeer. She's mm-hmm. got to feed Santa's cookies the other 364 days of the year. She's got a lot to do. She's got a lot to do. And it, I think it would be better if she was a little more celebrated. Yeah. Now, speaking of Santa's helpers, Molly... There are some possible women. This is a very contentious okay, topic that, that we're about to bring up. Okay. It's the issue of the reindeer. Because mm. Santa could not fly around the world without the reindeer. No. The reindeer, yeah, without the reindeer, Christmas would be kaput. Right. But the question is, are these reindeer actually female reindeer? I mean, you wouldn't think so just by the songs you know about these reindeer. I mean, I don't know any other girls named Rudolph. Yeah, or Donder or Blitzen. Yeah, I mean, Vixen, maybe. You could kind of see her being like a tomboy girl who got in with the guys. Yeah. But why would we think the reindeer are women? Because in popular culture, if you look at all the pictures, I've never seen a reindeer, even though I used to stay up all night looking for them. Mm-hmm. Um, in all the pictures of Santa that have been taken with the reindeer, the reindeer have antlers. And we learned... That reindeer and caribou are the only deer where the males, females, and calves produce antlers, and they shed them annually every year, which is why I just said annually. <laughs> um, but the female or cows, um, the female reindeer, will keep their antlers longer than the males will. So according to Snopes.com, the fact that Santa's reindeer still have antlers on December 24th a.k.a. Christmas Eve, Mm -hmm. indicates that they are likely female, right? Because the males would have shed their antlers by that point, right? Now, Snopes goes on to say that there are a few problems with this theory. One possible theory is that um, other sledders, other people who use sleighs, often use castrated males known as steers who might still have their antlers. Now, the reason that you would want to use a steer... Um, sledders say is because that they're going to be in better bodily shape by winter because they've been mating uh, in all the months leading up mm. to December. So you're going to have a, a male that's fresh as opposed to one that's kind of worn out. Although I don't tend to think of a lot of mating going on up at the North Pole, but I don't really know that much about reindeer. Yeah, I mean, and even if that is the case, that Santa's reindeers are just a pack of steers, I think it also adds a nice twist on Christmas that he's just flying around with his band of eunuchs. <laughs> his castrated males. Yes. Maybe that's why they wouldn't let Rudolph play in their reindeer games. Oh. They were grumpy. Yeah. Um, but there is another theory that um, Snopes points out, is that already there are, there are a few other species of reindeer uh, that, believe it or not, can fly. Um so that's pretty much the only one. So they do say that the fact that this is a certain species of reindeer that can fly might uh, indicate that they might be able to keep their antlers longer than other types of reindeer. However, Kristen, I'm going to prefer to think that it's all ladies up there pulling Santa around <laughs> with their ingenious sense of direction. Yes. Now, another lady of Christmas, of the winter Yuletide season, that we found that we thought was kind of cool, um, who also helps St. Nick. Mm-hmm. 
This woman called La Bifana. La Bifana, she is an Italian lady who also brings children gifts. She doesn't do it on Christmas Eve. She tends to come more around Epiphany, okay, which is January 5th, January 6th. And according to the Italian legend, uh, when the wise men went out looking for the baby Jesus, they stopped by La Bufana's house. And she's this old lady who had lost like her husband and her child. And so she tended her house very diligently and kept herself busy. And so the wise men stopped by to see if she could point them in the direction of, of the Christ child. Mm-hmm. And La Bufana said, uh, not really, no. I don't know. I don't, I don't know where he is. I'm just sweeping my hearth, keeping just clean. Baking some things. Baking some things. Uh, and they asked if she would want to come along on their journey, and she also declined. Mm-hmm. But then La Bufana got to thinking. She, you know, she's a widow. She used to have a child of her own, and she was like, I love children. I miss my child, and I bet that new mom needs some help, which I just think is a great a sign of female solidarity. I don't think she was going to go and judge that lady for any parenting decisions she was making, such as co-sleeping or breastfeeding. She just wanted to help out. Or immaculate conception. True. She's not even going to touch that one. All she does is she packs up her broom, she puts some gifts for the child in a sack, and she sets off to find this Christ child um, like the wise man had told her about. Um, but she couldn't find him. No. So she stopped in at all the houses to see if that's the house she was looking for. And as long as she was there... Might as well leave a gift for the child. And that's what she continues to do. That's the legend of La Bifana. So if you're in Italy, you know that you've got to be good. You've got to write your note to La Bifana and ask her to visit you. And if you're bad, she's going to bring you coal. Mm. Not sweets or toys. No. So um, I think that that's a pretty cool legend of a lady who helps out St. Nick. And these are the these were the examples we have found. There might be some more ladies out there behind St. Nick. So if you know of any, write Let in. Know. Yeah. And speaking of writing in... Why don't we do some listener mail? Okay. Well, to start things off, I've got an email here from Joyce, uh, and she was responding to our episode on co-sleeping. She said, I was kind of disappointed in your podcast on co-sleeping with babies. Since you hinted about your youthful age and acknowledged that you're not parents yourselves, I felt you're rather unqualified to be speaking on such a topic. It sounded like you're just some naive girls who read and rehashed some articles from Wikipedia or babycenter.com. Side note, we actually didn't use either of those sites. Uh, I'm not saying this to bring you down. I'm just saying that it's kind of cute. You reminded me of myself 10 years ago, and while this it, it is possible to be both cute and intelligent, this podcast really was almost embarrassingly too cute. I suggest that next time you do a show on a parenting topic, please include a guest who is more experienced, say a pediatrician, doula, or j- uh, just a plain parent, and I will take your word with more than just a grain of salt. Cheers, Joyce. So a valid point. I think I think I wrote back Joyce that we'd also done things um, like on roller derby and vampires and witches, and we were none of those things either. Yeah. But that's why we rely on our listeners to write in and tell us what it's actually like to co-sleep with a baby. And you can rest assured that our sources are far more credible than places like Wikipedia and babycenter.com. We do take a lot of time to try to find very valid, credible sources mm-hmm. of information. Next up, an email from Christopher, who writes in about the Pantyhose podcast. He claims to be one of the males that does wear pantyhose. He writes, I am a construction worker, and I only wear them during cold weather and under only under clothes. I find that they help keep my feet and legs warm in cold weather and much more comfortable to wear than insulated underwear. No one that I work with knows that I wear them. Only my wife does. So yes, my wife knows that I do this and does not have a problem with it. I first started wearing them when I played football in high school, and believe it or not, many of the guys did this. 
Molly writes to me. I know you say you do not like wearing pantyhose, but have you ever tried wearing some better brands? It really does make a difference in how they feel. My wife says she only likes to wear the silky type. They generally cost a little more, but according to my wife, it makes a big difference. Last but not least, me being a guy, I know that seeing a woman in pantyhose always gets my attention. I would tell any single girl if they want to draw attention to themselves, wear sheer pantyhose and see for yourself how many guys will look your way. Most guys, whether they admit it or not, find women in hosiery very attractive. So Molly and Kristen, now you're in this too, Kristen. So Molly and Kristen, you need to take my challenge and go out on the town wearing pantyhose and see how many more men will look your way. <laughs> well, Molly, today I upped the ante. Not only am I wearing pantyhose, I'm wearing red pantyhose. Yeah. So we'll go out to lunch and we'll see uh, how many men you look your way. Yes. We'll report back. Um, and to cap things off, we've got an email in from Kaylin. She was responding to our episode on breastfeeding. And she said, as a breastfeeding mother, I appreciate your insights and thought you handled the controversial subject in an unbiased way. Before I had my son, I knew I was going to breastfeed whenever he was hungry. And I didn't want to retreat to a bathroom stall since nowhere um, in my college campus are there lactation rooms. I also knew that I didn't want to and could not afford to leave him with someone else while I finish my bachelor's degree. So he goes to class and work with me. Hence, I find breastfeeding in the halls and lobbies and the student center and even during class. I've actually been surprised that no one has ever had a problem with this or at least voiced it to me. Some of my fellow students have even commented that they didn't realize what I was doing and my class only has 20 people in it. My professors have been completely supportive of me and one even offered to hold my son while I gave a presentation in my class yesterday. I think our society should be more supportive of breastfeeding mothers and keeping their babies with them during the day. I'm still just as productive as before and I do not feel like I'm distracting anyone by having my son around. I think that's so cool. You can take him everywhere. I agree. Yeah. So if you guys have got something to share about any of our topics or things you'd like to see become topics, you can email us. It's momstuff at howstuffworks.com. You can also check out our blog, How To Stuff. And if you want to learn a ton about Christmas, you can do that at howstuffworks.com and other holidays also at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?